What's up, military millionaires? I'm your host, David Frey, and today I am co-hosted again by the beautiful Alex Felice, and we have my friend Adit on the show. Now, Adit is going to get a special intro because, uh, well, he's my favorite seaman, I mean, uh, sailor, uh, veteran, but no, so Adit, uh, it would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that he basically saved my life from homeless people once, so we're going we're gonna to bring him on and say Adit is a house flipper. Also a uh, house hacker and a uh, multifamily guy who's kind of figured out, I say multifamily, I mean like the smaller multifamily, found a really unique niche in San Diego that he's doing very well in. And it's been really cool to watch him grow over the last few years. But uh, I, I always have to mention the fact that when I, the last day I was living in San Diego, my car blew up and died. And when I say blew up, I mean like six or $7,000 worth of parts that I had warrantied out for a fuel pump that literally exploded and tore my entire fuel system apart. And I spent like 15 hours waiting on a tow truck, sleeping downtown with all my belongings in the car, trying to fend off homeless people. Cause I, I like couldn't leave the car. Cause I was like, damn it. I've got all my crap in here. And uh, yeah, Adit was the only person around who was willing to give me a 45 minute drive impromptu up to uh, Oceanside and get me to a hotel room so I could figure out what to do with my car and my life. So uh, I, I appreciate that. And I'm going to forever, you know, put that out there that uh, overall decent human being. So um, that's your intro. Nothing about real estate, just about how you save me from homeless people. So Welcome to the Military Millionaire Podcast, where we teach service members, veterans, and their families how to build wealth through personal finance, entrepreneurship, and real estate investing. I'm your host, David Perret, and together with my co-host, Alex Felice, we're here to be your no BS guides along the most important mission you'll ever embark on, your finances. Vehicle one, you're cleared to depart friendly lines. Roger, Vic One, Oscar Mike. Hey guys, if you're looking to take your investing, business, life, or just yourself to the next level, then I have something for you. The War Room Real Estate Military Mastermind Group is a mastermind group that meets weekly in small groups of five to six people to help you hold yourself accountable and really experience that growth. But we also have a monthly guest speaker that we bring in. And we've had guest speakers that talk about mindfulness, taxes. We're bringing in somebody to talk about marketing. We bring in very specific topics that will adhere to very broad, any any kind of real estate investing or investing or entrepreneurship that you want to do. And we'll really help you out. And we let you ask these speakers questions and get very personal with them. And then back to the small groups, weekly accountability for what you're trying to achieve and just being surrounded by like-minded people. And they say your network is your net worth. I know that's an overused phrase, but I recommend that you check it out. So just shoot an email to wrmastermind at gmail.com. Once again, that's wrmastermind at gmail.com. And we'll send you some more information. Hey, thanks for having me, man. Excited to be here. Of course. I like uh, all the decorations you put on the wall for us back there. That's uh it looks good. <laughs> yeah. I actually I'm living on a job site, so I'm bouncing from project to project right now. And uh that's kind of why I have a very plain setup. Living on a job site. So Adit has now become the homeless that he used to save me from. So precisely. Oh man. All right. What why don't you uh give the quick synopsis for how you got into real estate? Yeah, totally, man. So two years ago, I got out of the Navy. I did what every person does when they get out of the Navy, used my GI Bill, smoked a lot of pot, did a whole lot of nothing. 
And then I discovered Bigger Pockets and I started listening to the podcast. I got into the military to millionaire community, started learning a little bit about real estate. And what I did was I blasted out my a cover letter and resume to every single real estate developer in San Diego. Cause I didn't want to be a house flipper. I didn't want to be a, a real estate agent. I had the audacity to want to be a real estate developer. So I blasted that out to every developer. No one replied. So I went back and followed up and pestered people, <laughs> hunted them down and eventually one guy took me up on his offer. I told him, Hey, you know, this is what I can do. I can fix things. I'm pretty decent at talking to people. Um, I'd love to help you out, add value to your business in any way. So I started out doing small repairs for him on his rental properties, you know, changing ceiling fans, unclogging toilets, dealing with his tenant troubles that turned into helping manage his whole rental portfolio, about 43, 43 doors now in San Diego, California, managing all his construction projects. Then partnering on his deal, partnering on deals with him, lending back and forth, um, and then doing stuff on my own from there. So, as a manager, partner, lender, or principal, I've done everything from single family flips, repositioned small multifamily, small lot subdivisions, house hacked, you know, the the whole nine. So, been a, been a good good little ride thus far. Very ambitious of you. The tenacity, yeah, totally. I yeah. like it. What are, you, what are you doing now? What's your day-to-day -day now? So right now, my day-to-day -day is managing some construction projects for the same developer and also looking for urban infill projects. So I've recently exited all of my stuff that I was working on, which was like a, a live-in flip and a small multifamily I repositioned. And I'm looking to redeploy that capital now into urban infill, which is basically like Single family homes are small multifamily that are zoned in in high density multifamily areas. So you can get a four unit and build 40 units, that kind of stuff. Well, that's interesting. I don't know anything about that. It's a lot of fun and it's very it's like it's kind of like this, it's kind of like the the answer to the problem in San Diego, right? A lot of people say a lot of people who are in San Diego end up out of state in the Midwest or Southeast, but Instead, someone told me to chase what's hard. I think it actually might have been you, Alex, on one of your podcasts or something. It was on Bigger Pockets, and I think you might have said it once too. Like, chase what's hard. Don't go that's, for the small, low-hanging proof fruit. So that sounds harder than anything I would bother to do. But that is really good advice, and I do. I say it all the time: do what's hardest. I don't take it all the time, but glad you know. I know that it's good advice for other people. I'm not taking it. But. <laughs> I love that you're like that. Sounds too hard, but it's great advice. The advice is sound. <laughs> I'm just lazy. <laughs> yeah, it's it's just it's kind of what fell into my lap. But I mean, aside from that, I'm also doing a couple flips out of state now in South Carolina. Can we just and I'm um, also looking at always looking at flipping houses around here. Can we just pause the that's what just fell into my lap part and revert to where you like hounded every developer in the county for like months and then take that part out and say it didn't quite just fall in your lap but all right continue okay yeah <laughs> take some yeah. credit where it's due man <laughs> <laughs> got lucky man a lot, a lot of it had to do with luck but it's strange because like the harder the more you put yourself out there the more lucky shit happens to you oh yeah. so luck is real but it only happens to people who are participating 
what's the what's that phrase there's like a quote about like luck is when like opportunity meets hard work or or preparation or something like that like if you're looking for it you're gonna get lucky a whole lot more often than if you're just you know and that can be applied to anything right i mean if you're scratching the the scratch offs at the gas station you're gonna win more than the guy who doesn't gamble but i don't know that that's the the best analogy (laughs) yeah totally luck for me is like gardening like you need the weather to be nice it's pretty reliable but like you can't predict it so every time you get something that grows it's like it's kind of lucky so okay so explain the give the quick overview on like what you're doing with the you know I mean, your your interesting little niche that you found in San Diego, which is cool because I've been able to see you uh, grow and, and turn a profit in this. But you're right. You're definitely in one of those markets where a lot of people say either don't invest because it doesn't cash flow or the prices are too high or, you know, taxes or tenants or evictions. Like, I mean, I didn't buy when I lived in California. And it wasn't necessarily because I think California is the worst. It was a culmination of things. Um but, you know, I mean, there's a lot of people I, I you know, hindsight's 2020, I should have bought. But, you know, who would have known if I bought in 2019, what would have happened with my values in 2020, 2021? <laughs> so, yeah, totally. I mean, it is a lot harder, right? So the way we make it work here in San Diego is we find assets that have an opportunity to add huge value, whether it's by adding adding units or significantly improving the asset to increase the income and obviously picking them up at a at a steep discount. So some of the things that we we do is like we get four units for example and we'll add two and then we'll refinance with a commercial loan and get all of our capital back cuz now we have a six unit. And um that 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 model's not new to anyone especially anyone who does stuff like commercial multifamily um and income-based valuation. We just increase the income by adding units instead of just making improvements and raising rents. So it's a com- it's a combination of both those things, and it creates this powerful synergy. And in a coastal market, the equity figures are a lot more significant than maybe somewhere like the Midwest or Southeast. Yeah, so you got to take on a bigger, you know, a kind of a bigger burden because you know it's much harder to add two units than it is to bump the rents a little bit, obviously. And so you take that bigger risk, but you get a much bigger nut and uh, that's interesting because you know you think about it. People say, "Well, don't buy in California," and it's like, kind of like what we just talked about. It's like I'm not going to go buy in California because I don't know the market. It's such an uphill battle. I'm going to go look for something easier, right? But you're like, "Look, I'm here, and there's problems in this market that need to be solved, and those problems are going to be more difficult, obviously, because it's going to take a lot more capital intensive, and oftentimes, I imagine the returns are kind of harder to get, right? Because it's um, a lot more people." So, but I love that you stuck with it and found that very creative, very like um, big lift fix. You're like, look, this is a, this problem. I have a good solution to this problem. It's just harder than most people are willing to tackle. It's kind of like rehabs. Like some people only do lipstick rehabs. Some people are like, like me, I'm like, let me go find the house that got half burnt down because I know that I can take care of that. And yeah. I know that it's just going to scare most people off. Uh, so it's kind of that. I like that uh, where you're, you said, okay, I'm just, I can't go after that low hanging fruit. I got to go after this big stuff. But if you take it down, it's got big margins. Totally. And what's crazy is that you said it exactly. Every time I introduce myself to like a wholesaler or realtor, I tell them, hey, you know, we kind of play in the gray area between stuff that's too big for the average flipper and it's too small for the big development company. So that's kind of where we play ball. And it's been a really good, really good lane to be in. 
Yeah, that makes sense too, because a big developer is not screwing around with four units, six units. And a flipper is not really, you know, like you said, it's perfect. So I don't I know if this that. is. I don't know if this is going to take us off topic, but because um, I haven't done enough research to know, but uh, SB9 and SB10, right? So California has got these a couple bills out there trying to fix the low income housing and and like the from my understanding on on super minimal research, i.e. headlines, um, just to be like, what is this crap I see floating around? Uh, California is looking to relax like some of the zoning rules as far as building units and building ADUs and, and they're actually kind of opening the door in a way that would help you out. Is that the case? Like how are some of those things changing that may help you guys out down the road? Yeah, totally. I think it's a step in the right direction, but it's not where we need to be. Mm. It's no secret that California, I mean the whole United States, right. But specifically California is in a, in a very severe housing shortage. So the state is trying to take a step in the right direction by pushing these kinds of legislations. And we don't know right now, right? Same thing happened in eight with ADUs four or five years ago when ADUs came out. Some jurisdictions are just catching up with the ADU laws. So we don't really know how it's going to play out, but basically the the underlying message with SB9 and 10 is that you can subdivide any single family parcel at a ministerial level, so it doesn't require discretionary review. Um, basically, what that means is there's two types of real estate developments. There's by right and there's discretionary. By right is something that's supported by the base zoning and law that doesn't require the county or a, um, housing authorities discretion in approval. So you're allowed by right. For example, if you have zoning for three units and you have a single family home, you're by right allowed to have two more. But you're not by right allowed to subdivide that parcel, even if you have the minimum lot size. Like, let's say minimum lot size is three is 1,000 and your parcel is 3,000. That doesn't mean by right you get three parcels. That means you have to go through a discretionary review process. You have to actually appeal to city council. It goes up to the state, right? Because in California, the subdivisions right now are done at the state. And then it comes back down to the city and it takes a long ass time. It takes about you know, $60,000 per line, usually that you want to draw in that parcel it takes a lot of engineering surveying. So they're trying to bring that all down and give cities the authority to subdivide single family parcels. But there's a lot of stipulations and, and some, you know, like it's got to be owner occupied and it's got to be say the same size for each parcel. And it can't be a parcel that was previously subdivided. So let's see once the smoke settles, let's see how it plays out. But I do think that this type of legislation is exactly what California needs. We just need more of it, right? You gave us a little bite and you give us the whole bone. And that's crazy that you have to go to the state level to like subdivide or rezone. Like that's, that's yeah. No one, no wonder it takes so long. <laughs> yeah, Totally. Some guy in Sacramento is like, nope, uh, you can't you can't do that down on the Mexican border. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It takes a long time and it's very it's an arduous process. Yeah, that's a lot of red tape. Like, I don't obviously know anything about California state law, so it's it seems like a lot to me. California kind of wrote the rule book like, can we make this more complicated? Yes. Perfect. It's like, if you think about it, like, you know how like people in the military, they get like old and they're about to retire and then they like create a GS position and they just kind of like move over. They like created this job for themselves after retirement. It's kind of what I feel like California does. They're like, I wish that I could be do zoning even longer in this. You know what? Let's make 
me at the state level, the requirement for this, just so that I have a job and it'll make everyone else's life miserable. But I don't know. You're not, you're not wrong, man. But that being said, like, for example, San Diego is taking a a step further, right? So San Diego has created this um, new set of legislation called the complete communities initiative. And they've basically like, created a crazy high density bonuses they're allowing us to bring a lot of affordable units in in uh, in housing supply and parcels where you could previously only build like 20 or 25 units you can now build like 40 so that's a san diego local thing um which was another step in the right direction so we're california does have a lot of strict laws right And and a lot of taxes and a lot of fees and a lot of things going against it but we do in San Diego County now have um, we're going into a direction of a more easier to build jurisdiction, which is great. So that's, 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 that's one good thing that we have going on for us. Yeah. That's good. You sound very optimistic. How does this play into like, where do you see this going your future? Cause it sounds to me like, you know, the technical ins and outs of the area and the market. Um, do you look to scale towards bigger developments? I do. So I want I want to take on these multifamily infill projects, but I'm not just restricting myself there. I'm also looking at doing smaller stuff out of state. Like we're taking on flips in South Carolina, um, looking at multifamily out of state as well. I'm orig- I grew up in North Carolina and New Jersey. So looking in the Northwest or Northeast and uh, Southeast as well for multifamily deals. But that's kind of the dir- direction I'm looking for is um bigger stuff but also stuff that's got huge equity spreads a lot of room to add massive value and projects that are that are fulfilling to take on right they they require some sort of creative problem solving that other people aren't willing to take on that's kind of what i'm looking for it's so easy i'll do some multifamily in the southeast with you i'm looking every day let's do it man i got i got folks in winston-salem like i talked to you at flip hacking live so i was just in winston-salem at a project that a friend of mine's buying. I know some multifamily projects in Winston-Salem. That's a good market. Oh, really? Yeah. I've, I've been on, I went to, I got a buddy who syndicates and he, he's bought what a 336 unit out there last year. And then he bought two buildings out. He's closing on two buildings out there now, like another 400 something units. I'll put my feelers out there, man. If I see anything, I'm going to, you're going to be the that first place person is growing. Let's yeah, let's talk. Yeah, for sure, man. That's that's only two hours for me. Like, I can definitely work that. I'll be there over the holidays, so I'll, I'll give you a shout, man. Okay, yeah, do it. Yeah, just show up at his house. Yeah, I will. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. But if you're in Winston Salem, we'll we'll let's meet up. Yeah, definitely, we will, man. Uh, the ADU side, right? People in California are always talking about ADUs. Which, by the way, for people listening who've never heard of ADUs, it's uh, additional dwelling units. So it's like a mother-in-law suite or a guest house that you rent out um they've loosened up the laws a lot in california what are some of the new like uh i've heard they've made it a little bit easier for that can you give a little bit of feedback on like kind of what you're seeing with adus as far as like price and timeline and uh complication and whatever yeah totally so if i'm going to direct build an adu it's going to cost me personally between 200 and 215 a foot. Now, if you go get an ADU consultant, they're going to charge you like 285, 300 a foot. But I mean, I manage my own guys. I'm basically the general contractor in that scenario. But um, San Diego has now 
taken a step above the state laws of just one ADU and um, or one ADU and one JADU. They're kind of taking it on a case by case basis. I've seen like we had a four unit in Bay Park, San Diego, that they allowed us to have two ADUs on two actual ADUs, not JADUs. So, but by right, the basic state law says if you have a single family home and you have the space and the setbacks to do it, then you can have one ADU and you can have one JADU, which is attached. So you can build like a three bed, two bath in the backyard, and then you can build and you could convert the garage into a studio. The only stipulation is that the JADU has to, if you have a JADU, that property has to be owner occupied, um, which is the only stipulation. So what I kind of, and I don't, I don't mean to go off track here, but what I have been preaching for people in San Diego using the VA loan is um, buy something that has room to add value, like adding an ADU. Never use your VA loan just to buy the pretty single family residence. That's my personal opinion, right? And something that I push heavily. Why would you go in 100% leveraged into something that has no room to add value or create equity? Buy a kind of semi-distressed, cosmetically distressed single family home that has a margin too thin for the average flipper. Use your VA loan to buy it. Add an ADU. Um, and the thing I hear a lot is I don't have the cash to build an ADU. Well, figure it out. Like someone's going to lend on that, right? If you have a spread big enough, you're going to be able to get hard money and get most of the cash or even all of the cash in a lot of cases back out of the deal after you build the ADU. So don't be scared of things just because you don't have money and don't use your VA loan to buy pretty houses ever. <laughs> You're messing up my American dream, Adi. I just want to buy. I just want to buy all the fancy stuff on debt, 100 financed, and look cool. You see, like that's something that's kind of been going on, right? For for decades in this country, is the American dream: white picket fence house, car, and it really it started at let's go to college. Let's go to college by any means, right? Even if it means getting ourselves into a ton of debt. Let's get any job. And let's leverage as much as we can to buy the nice boathouse and um, and uh, and car, right? Which it, it it's now catching up to us, right? Our parents they made it through, they they made it through. But this generation, our generation, we can't do it, right? There's just we have way too much leverage, and people forgot how leverage works, right? It's not imaginary money. You still owe that money back. The only time that you should be using leverage is for assets, right? That's the fundamental assets versus liabilities thing. So. That's the real American dream is using leverage, right? Because we're even privileged to have high leverage in this country. Places like Mexico, some places in South America, you can't go get 80% leverage. You can't get a 20% down loan. We have 0% down loans. Don't, don't, those don't exist in those markets. So we need to be using those to create wealth, not put ourselves in debt. Man. You're messing with my American dream, Adit. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I love on that point, though, I love that we have such wealth in this country that we have um, and such low debt that we have instilled in our culture that everybody needs to go live on their own at 18. And if you're 30 and you live in your house and you're with your parents, then you're somehow a loser. Whereas everywhere ever else in the planet, well, for 12,000 years of human civilization, people have lived basically with their family because they couldn't afford to move out. And it also turns into some surprising house benefits like um, a, you have a support system. Um, you have a family support system and then you can develop um, family wealth, which is what a lot of people still do in a lot of other countries um, today. But in America, we shame people for living it with their family. 
And then we come up with creative new terms for having people live with you to um, create wealth, which is we call house hacking as if it's some new thing. And I'm like, no, it's the old thing. Living on your own at 18 or living on your own at 20, just because that's the new thing. Um, and it loads people up with debt that they don't need. And they buy retail homes that they stretch to afford. It doesn't make them any money for 10 or 15 years. And yeah, I mean, we're privileged to have low interest debt. We have a very sophisticated banking system in this country. Very, very sophisticated. Although um, it crashes every 10 years because it's not that sophisticated. It's not, it's not, <laughs> it's not, it's not that good, but it's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, so I love that, you know, and I kind of mostly agree with you. You know, debt is a wonderful tool, especially in this country where you can get it at two, three, four percent right now. I mean, even if you can get it at six or eight percent, you're at 80 percent. You have a product that most of the world is... Um, unavailable from most of the world. So it's a, it's a really good mindset to have about debt. It's a privilege. Yeah. You hit it on the head, man. Yep. I agree. Uh, so what's the, what's the, what's the plan now? Or actually, how about this? Um, can you give us some examples, some numbers of one or two of the ones you've done? So the, the most recent one that I exited was with another pot, a war room mastermind men member and podcast guest Donald Appleberry. Um, this was a three unit property in Imperial Beach, California. We picked it up in January 2021. It was a mismarketed, mismarketed three unit. It the the realtor who listed it just didn't sell the potential. She didn't sell that it had a massive front yard where you could build an ADU. That the rents were um, severely below market. And it was like, for all intents and purposes, it was a turnkey deal. It was ugly, but it was rentable. Right. So we picked this thing up, um, found out that we could combine VA entitlement at a barbecue at Dave Perez house. So shout out Dave for that. And, um, we did that. We did just that. So we decided we we're going to combine entitlement, picked up this three unit right around the time that we picked it up. San Diego went into one of the most restrictive eviction moratoriums in the country. So we were unable to own or occupy it. Um, we started a conversation with the lender, explaining to them our situation. They said, hey, don't worry about it. As long as you have a documented reason that you didn't own or occupy it, you know, you sh you you'll be all right, right? Because we can't, we can't ask tenants to leave at this point because the law literally doesn't allow us to. So you know, that that ended up being kind of a stressful situation because I had put up my condo for rent, wanting to move to my new property in Imperial Beach and surf every day and live that beach life, but couldn't do that, right? So instead, we poured everything we could into the property. We ended up completely doing an exterior reskidding. Uh, we raised the rents as much as the law would allow, which just ended up being just enough. And... Um, we were going to start the permitting process for an ADU, which we were going to then own or occupy. And the market just went nuts. So we picked that thing up for a million bucks, ended up exiting it at 1.35, seven months later. And the only reason we were able to do that, and I want to be very, very clear about this, is because of the San Diego eviction moratorium, which by the way, I believe is still in effect. It it will not it will not um, go away until California ends the COVID state of emergency. 
So that's the only reason we didn't own or occupy this. I don't want me telling you about how I made 350 grand with the partner um, gross profit off of a VA loan deal be your excuse to not own or occupy. Because what happens is when people don't own or occupy VA loans, the the VA and lenders are going to catch on to it and it's going to ruin the benefit for everyone. So we need to make sure that just buy a buy a house hackable property that has room to add value and move into it because guess what now your personal overhead gets combined with your investment so your personal overhead and i still live by this right by the way i'm living on a job site right now this is a completed home that i'm sitting in that's going to be up for sale next month i've combined my personal overhead with my investment you know eliminated my personal overhead overhead by living in my investment which is what house hacking is so go ahead and owner occupy those create massive value and then um, refinance or exit them or do it, do it again. So that was a really good deal though. The, the market, it was right timing. It was right um, execution, but yeah, would love to do five more of those if I could. <laughs> so, to, so to clarify uh, two things, one, uh, the entitlement piece, for those of you who didn't catch that, the reason there's, there's different reasons you can combine benefits. But in this case, what happened was two different guys. One is a, an agent who's making a good amount of money, but doesn't have documented tax returns to back it up. So he doesn't have the income to qualify for a mortgage, but he has not touched his VA loan. Another gentleman has the income and not the full entitlement. So you combine his entitlement, his income, you're able to purchase the property. They qualify for a million dollar loan. And then, yeah, they intended to move into the vacant unit and house hack and the city of California or the state of California was like, uh, nobody's allowed to move out of your house. And they're like, Oh, we have nowhere to live now. What do you, what do you want? Like, uh, and so, so yeah, definitely not, uh, don't, don't go out there and try to, you know, cause mortgage fraud and stuff, but sometimes stuff happens and it worked out. I would say at least fairly well, $350,000 gain on a zero down seven months. I'll take that return. Yeah. Results not typical for sure. But if you look for miss, if you look for mismarketed opportunities, like that was on MLS, right? And not all of that gain was from the market, right? A lot of that was earned equity and it was calculated earned equity. So the market was just a big bonus. It would have still been a juicy, fat, beautiful deal. And it was on MLS. It was sitting on there for 60 days and no one picked it up. So before you guys like catch yourselves griping about not being able to find deals, the market's too competitive. Look at what's already in your face. Like if you're not looking, you're not going to find them. Right now in San Diego, there's a four unit mixed use property being advertised as a single family home on MLS. So there's still out there. There's still out in, there. I have a friend in DC who goes on Instagram and he just posts all the mislisted properties <laughs> in the MLS. And he's like, he's like, this is a duplex listed as a single bed as a single uh, family. This is a duplex listed as a single family. Here's another duplex listed as a single family. And he's like, these are a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars underpriced all day long. And it's just because the realtor just didn't pay attention when they listed it. And then there it sits. <laughs> Did you see the one he posted the other day? It was, that's why I died laughing when you brought him up. It's a picture of a kitchen and it's got like lines of Coke on a mirror sitting. Oh in the yeah. Picture. I saw that on the internet. I'm, sh- I'm sure that one's probably like, Oh, you know, like kind of a, a made up one, but he, he had me rolling. He's like, yep, not what you want listing photos to look like. It's like, <laughs> Oh man. 
Yeah, it's it's just funny you say that because I know that's that's you're another a second person I know that says there there are deals from the MLS that people miss because they assume the realtor listed it right and it doesn't happen. So not I mean, obviously it happens most of the time, but if you go through those deals, if you take the time and go through deals that are on the market 60 days at this point in the market cycle and just be like, why? Then I bet you there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, we locked yeah. one up for forty five thousand under asking price last month. We ended up walking because uh, they said they had gotten permits when they rebuilt the entire duplex after it burned halfway to the ground. And then we went to the city and the city was like, there was no fire. And I was like, I didn't say anything. Like, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. And I went back to the seller and was like, yo, I want 30,000 off. And they were like, where do you give you 45? I was like, yeah, well, you give me 45,000 off when telling me that that was permitted. Like, I'm not trying to play this game if I'm not getting a big, big discount. But you know, but yeah, it was, it had been on the market for 110 days. Called the guy and said, Hey, you're listed at two 30. I'll give you, we went like 150. came back at like 185. but that's another thing, right? Like, um, and then you want to be careful with this cause you don't want to get the reputation of being the low baller, but get on some of these on, on market deals that have been sitting there. Like Alex and Dave said, you know, 60 days or even 45 days and see it, what would it make sense to you? Like, all right, this deal is listed for, for $405,000, but it only makes sense to me at 365. Shoot them an offer for 365. It doesn't cost any money to make an offer, you know? And if you back it up, right? Especially if you're direct to seller's agent, which I think you should be in these scenarios, just call the seller's agents and say, hey, you know, would your client accept an offer for this much? And this is why I think, this is why I would offer it because it's going to cost me this much to rehab it, this much to finance it, et cetera. So here's my biggest, my best offer. Would they entertain something like that? No. All right, cool. On to the next one. This one's 500. It makes sense to me at four, 445. Send it to them. You know, even a wholesaler sent me a deal for $485,000. I went back and I told him, Hey, I really appreciate you keeping me in mind. This only makes sense to me at $435,000 and blow and behold, it, he, 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 he went for it. He said, all right, yeah, we can make it happen for 435. You know, shoot your shot, man. You, you, you miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take. Yeah. There's so many times too, like this business is just, it's like the third time that somebody offers you that you're the fourth person to offer them that, that amount. 365. He's like, no, F you 365. No way. And the second guy is like, oh, again, no F you third one. He's like, Jesus. No, no 365. And then you know what? You don't know what happens in these people's lives or what their mood they're in or whatever. And then you come along and you're like 365. He's like, well, Jesus, I might as well. I don't want to get a fifth one. You know, I might as well just take it now. <laughs> and so sometimes it's just timing. It's not just, you just never know, but you have to ask. Yeah, and totally. Especially if it's in the, been in the market for a while. That alone says, in this point of the, the cycle, if something's been on the market 45, 60 days, they've been offered. They've been, they've been a lot of offers and they've said no. So it's like, they're not getting their number. They're <laughs> at yeah. this point, you know, they're not getting their money. So, yeah. like, you know, you got to catch them at that point. You're just trying to play the magic timing to see when they're sick of waiting, and they're just like, okay, I'll take it. Yeah, and you got to follow up, right? You know, keep following up with those people because chances are you're not going to get it on the first shot. Same thing with me scoring this position with that developer. I hit him up like four or five times before he finally invited me to the job site. You know, you have to follow up consistently. 
Well, yeah, especially for networking like that. Networking, people say networking is a trade of value, but really I don't look at it at all like a trade of value. I look at networking like people investing in people. And so everybody wants to be around somebody, wants somebody around who's going to work hard and try hard and is committed. And so I'm like, yo, you have to be at least as committed as me. So if I show up every day, I need to know you're going to show up every day. So if you show up every day without me, even at, like before I even know you, like you're begging me to show up to work. It's like, of course you're hired. Yeah, totally. You know, I can't get the guys I pay to show up. You're going to show up like anyway, let's go. Let's be friends for a long time. That was a really good, good way to put it. And, um, it really rung, it really hit home for me because recently I've been reading all of Nassim Taleb for the first time. And I started with a uh, skin in the game and it just oh. like, it all just made sense, you know, like it just, it made a lot of sense. And that's what it is. You know, like he said, it's not a value exchange, but you're still presenting some kind of value, right? You have to make yourself valuable. And sure, you have I don't to- mean to say that it's not about value, but I mean, I look at it and it's, I don't look at it as a transaction to trade. I look at it as an investment. So again, I'm an investor. I look at everything, every relationship. I look at all as, as an investment in some in some aspect of my brain. So I say, okay, how much time and energy and resources am I invest into this person? Is that person going to get better over time? Is that a relationship that's going to you know bring fruits of uh, of the labor that I put into it of some sort? It doesn't always have to be monetary, but it's like sometimes you just want to help somebody. It's like, okay, I'll help this guy, but I have to know he's at least going to want it, that he at least wants to help himself more than I can help him then I can help him. So if I see him doing that, it's like, oh, you're a good value. You're going to, it's more like this. I'll give you a cynical answer, right? It's like, if I look at somebody who I know is going to make it, I'm like, let me tie myself to them so that I can ride their coattails on the way up. It's the same big exact time, thing. Oh, say it again. I said big time, man. That's exactly what it is. It's the same thing. So it's like, you look at somebody as a, as it's not to say there's no value exchange, but if I look at somebody and say, there's value in that person that I want to invest in. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, I like that. I yeah. Yeah, well, and the other thing is like you just got to you just got to go into a relationship thinking about like what's in it for the other person. Right? Like you got to at least come off that way. Because I'll tell you right now like, you know, the more the things grow, the more people reach out to me asking for, you know, pick your brain, mentorship, uh like, you know, so and, and a lot of times it's like I'll tell you this, if your first message to me is an ask, you're probably not going to get a response. It's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know who you are. I don't, I, I like, yo, know, at least, at least like a, Hey, I'm so-and-so I like, this is, you know, whatever, but like, it, it, it's, you know, like Adit was like, Hey, I'd like to work with you and help you. He wasn't like, Hey, can you just like, let me, or, you know, buy me coffee and, and tell me what to do. And then you'll get nothing from me. Thanks. <laughs> so what were your, what was your reach out? Like Eddie, when you say, Hey, I reached out to people, what did you say? And how did you contact them? What medium? So I contact them over biggerpockets.com. All right. Okay. All messages over bigger pockets. And then I took it to LinkedIn for those of them who had their LinkedIn's. And then some of them even had their phone numbers on social media. So I texted them the whole nine. Right. But basically it went something like this. Hello, blank. This is Adit Shaw. I'm a recently, um, discharged Navy veteran. I'm super interested in real estate and I have dreams of being a real estate developer and making a big impact in my community. I think I can be extremely valuable to your business because I know basic handyman skills. I'm really good at talking to people and um, I can work for hours on end without any reward or, or um, satisfaction because I was in the military. 
right? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm all about the delayed. I'm all about the delayed gratification game. And um, I would love to help you on your job sites or with your day-to-day tasks that you're having trouble balancing so you can go on and do bigger and better things in your business. And um, here's my contact information and let me know a good time for us to meet. Some Something along those lines, right? Um, and I'm actually going to take that letter and I'm going to post it on my blog soon so people can see. And then it, it included my resume, right? Like it included an actual resume. Like I tried hard on this thing, right? I was a textbook try hard resume, the whole nine cover letter, and then just relentless follow-up. Cause remember when I, when I, when I started, I said, I had the audacity to want to be a real estate developer. Like we have the audacity to want financial freedom, want to be multifamily investors or house flippers or wholesalers or house hackers, whatever. That's not normal, right? The normal thing to do in the world is to go to college and sell your time for 40 years. If you expect for your life to go differently, you need to do extraordinary things to achieve those results. It's not granted. It's not given. It's not normal, right? You have, a, you have to have a certain level of tenacity and, like I say, audaciousness to want those things. And you have to back it up with your actions. And you have to back it up with your desire as well. I love it. Dude, I love your intensity right now. <laughs> I love that you mentioned the piece about, you know, I was in the military, so I can work for a long time with no reward. And I, and I love that both because it's hilarious and ironically true, but I have said something similar before where it's like, I mean, I essentially like while building the whole military millionaire thing, like I was paying to build it for the first almost two years. And people are like, well, why? I'm like, oh, I don't, at first I had no idea, but, um, you know, and it's like, I, I have attributed a few times though, that a lot of it, I think is that makes service members successful in real estate or entrepreneurship or whatever, is that almost any of those endeavors, the first while, I mean, you know, anywhere from a couple months to a couple of years, you're, you're putting out a ton of effort and getting almost no reward. And service members do have a very ornate like patience for that because you work long hours, you deal with like, hey, you're going to be here at two in the morning, even though we can't tell you why you're going to be here at two in the morning. And really, you don't need to be here till five. And so like you get good at entertaining yourself and putting up with like not getting paid extra for doing things that you know most people would think are like insane. And so then you're like, well, shoot, if I'm going to work for six hours doing nothing on a Saturday or standing a 24-hour post, like, I mean, at least now I'm doing it for myself. It's almost more okay. rewarding. I don't know. I've I've felt that way before where I'm like, Marine Corps trained me for this. Standing duty is way, way harder than filming 20 videos. And, you know, the biggest thing the military taught me is that, like, each person's journey is his or her own. Like, and this is something that I struggled with because, like, for the longest time, I was like the hardest working sailor, like sailor of the quarter, you know, try hard, textbook try hard guy, right? And um, I ended up doing six years and getting out. So that's a different story of how that ended. But, you know, um, I was that guy and I would see my peers getting, passing me up, getting promoted. I'm like, I know I'm working harder than this guy, but I'm not getting promoted. A lot of people fall into the trap of crying about it. Like, oh, you know, this isn't fair. I didn't deserve this. But I learned that, you know what, if I put my blinders on and only focus on me and making myself better, 
what's coming to me is coming, right? And I just have to consistently put in these compounding actions to achieve the result that I want. So instead of worrying about X, Y, and Z getting promoted before I do, I just need to make sure I'm doing these consistent sets of actions every single day. And eventually it's going to come to me. I don't care about anyone else. And, and strangely enough, this is the reason why I got, like, got super into jujitsu as of last year. It's the same thing. Like I could be training three, four times a week. And um, guys like John Lalonde, who's another podcast guest and war room member, are going to crank it out and pass me up every time, even though he trains hard too. But he, he's just better than me, right? There's going to be people who are better than you. Or the, it seems like they're better than you, I should say. And they're going to pass you up. And they're going to do better than you in the short term. But as long as you keep putting those consistent actions in and you decide what you want, you know what? I decide that I want to be a blue belt in, in a year and a half. It doesn't matter if if someone else gets promoted before I do. It doesn't matter if someone else gets better than I do. As long as I keep that consistency and I start this effect of compounding actions to achieve that desired result, it's going to come. You know, And same thing with real estate. Yeah, consistency is powerful. John Lalonde is a sissy for starters. <laughs> I love that I didn't I didn't even have to talk shit. I love it. <laughs> he knows it. It's not even news. All right. Everybody listening already knows that. They think, oh, yeah. John Lalonde, he's a he's a sissy. I'm gonna I'm gonna crop out that clip and just put it on Instagram. Yeah. Of Alex yeah. I'm gonna put it on my Instagram. It's gonna be my it's gonna be my opener. It's gonna be my tagged post, pinned post. <laughs> He'll love it. He'll eat it up. Um, dude, did we talk about Nassim Taleb in um, Orlando? I don't think we did, man. I don't think we did. He's my hero. I don't go a day without quoting some of his wisdom. He's the smartest guy walking planet Earth. Who's a, dude, a you know, I'm a, I just back there. I've t- I've um I've I've got the Nassim pill, man. I started with skin in the game, and I'm reading Anti Fragile now, and it's I just like. Ski- I start with skin in the game. Um, Anti-Fragile is my favorite book of all time. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be talking about it with you when I come see you in North Carolina. Cause I'll be done with it by then, hopefully. And yeah. um, dude, it's Nassim Taleb for anyone who has not read any of Nassim Taleb stuff. Stop what you're doing right now. If you're driving, pull over, get on audible, use that one credit for any of his books. Um, I, I read skin in the game and loved it. And um, it makes a lot of sense not just to life or not just to real estate, but to life. And that's another thing that I kind of like harp about is like, don't let real estate just consume you. Like focus on being an overall better person, learn about economics, learn about the fundamentals of business. And beyond that, learn about history and, you know, science and anything. I bet you we share a big reading list. We should, we should talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> well, dude, I just read your, I just joined your book club. So, okay. Yeah. I post just about everything I read on there. So I try to be active. It's getting, let's get a little more. People are interacting a little more. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. That one, you know, um, I saw that you're going to read Infinite Jest, which I'm kind of scared of. You should so. be scared of it. It is deadly difficult. Anybody who's listening to this, David, this can come out before January. Let's talk about it real quick. And January 1, I'm going to read Infinite Jest. I've already read it. It is probably the most influential fiction book of my life at this point. I'm not a big fiction reader, but I do like um, heavy literature, like human informed literature, not just um, not like sci-fi or fiction for the sake of fiction. Um, 
This is a tough book. It's a long book. That's why I want to do it in a group. There's going to be about 15 of us. Highly recommend it. It is a book about um, a critique of American culture. I'm very excited. You should do it with me. Don't be a sissy. Me and David will do it with you. I'll sign him David up. Is, David is not up for the challenge. <laughs> David, David was one of the first people to say he would do this stupid read all of Alex's books in 2022 challenge thing. I was going to do, I was going to do like 11 rereads in 2022 and five of them were going to be all in Nassim's books. But honestly, none of this conversation matters because Alex and I have a strict uh, belief in like not self-promoting uh, on the show. So I'm going to have to pull all the book club stuff out because we can't. <laughs> I'm self-promoting what people to, people you're, to learn your your free crap you to read to read you, books that challenge them you actually you know communist, what actually, fascist. Like, to bring it back to the beginning of this conversation the thing that makes infinite jest so valuable is that it's hard and and it, it kind of walks you through this meta about um metaverse it's kind of it talks you through this meta about exactly what you said in the beginning of conversations like what's hard is valuable even though you don't want to do it because it's fucking hard and doing what's easy is pleasurable and fun and entertaining. And, but it's self, it's like self-defeating. And so the whole point of the book is long to be long for the purpose of like, like I said, that meta of like, Hey, it's, it's valuable because it's hard. Okay. So you say hard fiction. Is this like 1984 style fiction where it's like predictive or is this like Ayn Rand where it's like a story that tells like, uh, you know, about like, a certain topic or like what kind of what kind of fiction are we talking here it's um it's absurdist um absurdist should uh it's a prediction of american culture 25 years in the future written 25 years ago wow interesting yeah i, I should have known like if it's, it's absurd pretty, obscure and then old alex is probably it's all obscure about it. it's yeah it's yep it's obscure <laughs> it's uh weird and it's written very very bizarre like it's written in a really weird po- prose so it's kind of wordy in a weird way he makes up words and stuff so it, it it's a little bit difficult are you reading hard copy this time through or are you doing audiobook again i'm gonna read the, the physical version this time was it it was still fine on audio though yeah all right cool that sometimes some of these books there's there's only a few books that i haven't been able to do on audiobook and they're all alex books uh but it's you know it's it's things like uh well, I ended up making it through Thus Spoke Zarathustra, but I had to slow it down. Um, and then like, uh, oh, what's the, the the other two or three? They're all they're all psycho psychology books or philosophy books. Like those are the ones where I'm like, God, I can't read this at like my normal speed. I got to slow it back down to one X. Um, so because there's like hard books that Thank you can still read fast, but then there's hard books that you're like, oh, my God, I can't keep up with what the heck this guy's saying. Yeah, to, to, like thinking fast and slow. That one I had to one exit, man. Yeah, that was a hard read for me. But that was a uh, really good book. Yeah, we're really uh, good book. Meditations. Meditations was another one. Just because it's just because it's not like a storyline. It, it's like different, like just totally disconnected thoughts. And so it was like trying to listen to it fast. I was like, by the time I comprehend a thought, I've missed two. So, yeah. Meditations is good. Yeah. I yeah. love when a book holds up for 1800 years. You're like, man, that dude knew some stuff. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> or there was just no other competing books, but you know, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. That's part of it. I no. mean, you can see it now in books. Like if you, re- if you look at the books that are released each year, 
99.9% oh, yeah. of them are garbage nonsense that never needed to be written. They barely Trash. need to be a blog. Yeah, perfect example. Yeah. Um, Lost in the noise. <laughs> and, and, um, and, you know, that gets worse uh, as books become easier to read, produce, consume. You can do ebooks now, um, audio only. So, but that doesn't mean that people, there's still, there's still some books that are written today that'll, that'll last. And it's just harder to get. That's why I try not to read books that are less than like, I mean, Good Night Moon lasted. I try to, 50 years is usually like my, like my first, I will read books newer than that, but that's usually where I try to get to 50 here's years an, older, older. Here's an odd one, Alex, that I'm just curious about before we bring this back around on subject, just because I don't know if you've read it. It seems like it might fit. Have you read the Napoleon Hill? Uh, was it Dancing with the Devil or um, Outwitting the Devil? Outwitting the Devil, dude. You mm-hmm. should read that. Yeah, outwitting. You would. I think you would enjoy it. So, you know, so here's the premise: Napoleon Hill wrote it, and then was like, "People are gonna think I'm out of my freaking mind. I'm never gonna publish this." And then, like, he died, and then, like, his family was like, "Holy shit, we're never gonna publish that." And then, like, when his family died, like, the last person was like to press and passed away. And so like, it made it, it made it, but like the whole book is like, it's kind of trippy. Like he wrote it as like this. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. It's like him, like talking about like selling his soul to the devil. And like, I don't know. I think you find some, some, some interest in it just because it's like the story behind it being like one of these books that was like, never really intended to see the light of day. Yeah. That does interest me. You know, I, I will say about Napoleon Hill, <clears throat> he's the reason why I did that thing where I blasted like all the developers. Because in Think and Grow Rich, there's a story about this guy named uh, Barnes. His last name's Barnes, and he chucks his last penny to buy a train ticket to go to Edison's factory in New Jersey and go into business with him. And it ends up like getting a job sweeping the factory floor and then ends up in a sales position. And it ends up being the sale, the best salesman for one of Edison's inventions that everyone thought was going to flop. And then ends up becoming a partner with Edison for that invention and selling it. So that's kind of what's like planted the seed in me about trying to go add value to someone who's doing exactly what you want to do. And not just like, hey, I'll help you. Uh, I don't know, like shred papers in your office. Like, no. I will go to your tenant's house and unclog the toilet, right? I will go to your, I will get this unit ready for turnover. I'm on my hands and knees scrubbing the floor. That type of shit. I mean, again, the military is pretty good about training people to like stir poo. So what's the difference between stirring poo and unclogging a toilet? And you started, if if you've started burning poo for the military, like, hey, tenant's toilet's pretty nice. (laughs) Yeah, the military right. has a does have a good way of humbling you by giving you just jobs that are beneath everybody, and then yeah, you, it's like hey, you deal with it. You wax the floor in the wrong direction. Do it again. Oh. I do wonder to your earlier point about like, um, you know, we're we're the college debt nation right now. Uh, I don't have any college debt, thankfully. I didn't even have that mindset when I was a kid. When I was younger, I wasn't like, I wasn't going to go into debt for college. That seems crazy. Um, yeah, it's the norm now, and I understand that. I wonder if it entitles people to think that they, that they're like, I got this good job. I got this college degree. Now I deserve some kind of pay or I deserve some kind of um, some sort of job above what I normally would get. And just the world doesn't always work out that way by any means. No, I mean, it's gotta be merit based. Right. So if you spent 
$200,000 getting a communication degree at a private school and you didn't do the smart thing, go to community college first and go to a public school then, and you end up making three grand a month. Like, you know, that, that goes back to skin in the game and balance and, um, getting in, getting out what you put in. Right. And it's really, it's really like mind blowing to me. Cause you know, when I'm reviewing tenants applications for, for the rentals and seeing like two quarter million in debt, hundred thousand dollars in debt, $4,500 salary, you know, $3,500 salary a month. Like why? You know, don't do that. Don't think that you have to go do that. You don't have to do anything. And worse, you then people complain. They say the system is broken when they're like, I got a job making this $40,000, $50,000 a year, all this debt. I'm like, you don't look at, but people don't look at themselves and say, the society told me to do. I was very lucky and you're very young in life. I realized I'm like my, through no fault of their own, no malice that my parents are going to give me bad advice, right? Society is going to give you bad advice. Go to school get a job, you know, save money, buy a house. Like those are the four core American dream. Like you said, right from the beginning, it's like, that's that right there, that plan, the plan that my generation and it sounds like your generation were taught as the success rules for success. That is bad information. And just because everybody tells you to do it, it's like, you're going to get in a position where you're going to have all this debt. You're going to have a low paying job. You're going to have no real skills. The only thing you're going to have is this credential that you essentially paid for. Instead, you know, it's not, it doesn't say, it's not a statement of um, talent or experience. It's just credentials. And then, so you're like, how come these two, t- two things don't add up? And it's like, yeah, you messed up because you believe the system. The system's not, I mean, it shouldn't have told you that, but that's life, right? Oh. So. Yeah, totally. Uh, and, and, and now you, know, you throw in, you've got. I mean, you good. Oh, I was just saying, now you throw in that you've got people going and doing the exact same thing with the assumption that their school is going to get forgiven. Therefore who cares? And they're just setting themselves up for even more hardship if that doesn't happen. Well, and they have the same problem because, um, yeah, you know, even if that guy got absolved $50,000 in student debt, um, which may, if it's all of it, it's like, okay, sure. But anybody, once you get a little older, you realize the $50,000, the hits, the swings, they're going to come and go in life. I mean, 50,000 is a big chunk, um, is a big chunk for almost everybody. Um, but it's going to come and go no matter what. So whether your student loan is absolved, it's like, that's not going to change. It's not going to change the trajectory of your life in any dramatic fashion. It might, it might feel important now, but it's, it's not $50,000 is going to come and go multiple, multiple, multiple times in your life. And if you do well in life, it's going to come $50,000 is going to come and go a lot of times. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the, the people who are not, you know, they're, they're getting that freebie. It's like, you're not untouchable. You just, you got one lucky, that's one lucky swing. But life is long and uh, having that, learning that hard work and learning that humility and taking those jobs you don't want and learning that you aren't entitled to anything, that's a much, much more valuable thing than that $50,000 ain't going to, $100,000 absolvation of um, student loan debt is not going to change their lives as much as they think. It's just good political posturing. Yeah, totally. And it all goes back to that. It's it's the it's a mindset that's translated across everything in America. Even people who are looking to get into real estate, they're looking to pay someone fifty thousand dollars to teach them about real estate, right? One of those like mastermind guru things. Now, granted, there's a couple of them out there who who may or may not be legit, right? Like I've I've never paid someone that amount of money to teach me anything, but the people that do, they want that instant gratification, right? Like 
They want to pay someone $20,000 teach me what I need to know about real estate so I can go make a hundred. Same thing with college. I'm going to pay $50,000 to get through college and I deserve a job. No, like let's take it back a notch. You know, before people were doing all this crazy shit, there's something called apprenticeships. If you wanted to go learn something, you had to go on your hands and knees and scrub that guy's floor to watch him do it or just be in his presence. Right. And that's kind of how I took a stab at development. I took the apprenticeship model and we need to bring that back and bring back that mentality. If I want to go do something, why don't I go work for someone who's doing it for free, by the way, right? If you get a paid internship or, you know, paid apprenticeship, good on you, but don't expect anything. The knowledge and the experience alone is going to be worth a lot, right? Like when I went into my first solo flip, I already knew exactly what I was doing. I already had the resources I needed. I already had the financing I needed just because I had that apprenticeship with the, with the developer. So that gets translated across everything. Get rid of that instant gratification mindset and take the take the hard route because the hard route is going to be the one that sticks and pays you for life. Yeah, and what people don't realize they they the people who don't want to do that, they think, well this isn't unfair and I'm like, yeah, it is unfair, but the thing that you don't realize is dude, you're competing against Eddie. And you can sit there and tell me what what kind of salary you deserve because what your what your school is or all these things, but Adi is going to go do it for free. And he's going to kick your ass. And he'll get paid later and he'll get paid a lot more and then he'll have the skills while you're sitting there waiting to find somebody who you think deserves or that you know deserves you to come work for them kind of thing. And so it's not so much that people go, oh, let's change the system. I'm like, you change the system all you want, but there's always going to be people like Adi who's going to go out there and just, I'm just going to, he's going to kick your ass. He's just going to do it. <laughs> And, and if you're, while you're sitting there arguing about salaries, he's like, somebody will come along and be like, I'll do it for free. Cause I see, it, I see it as valuable and I, I can make the sacrifice. Um, because you probably don't, like you said, you live in a, a business house, right? Uh, uh, an asset. You're not buying fancy stuff. What kind of car you drive? You drive a piece of shit. I drive an 07 Toyota Tacoma. No, oh, that's, ex- that's an expensive vehicle, actually. <laughs> I, got it, I got it well below real retail. So yeah. The Tacomas, they never go down in value, apparently. Toyota is actually the top brand for retaining value. value. Yeah, the, the, the one exception, theoretically, being Tesla, but not enough data to support it. And I think it's just because there's still limited supply. But yeah. Toyota, over time, yeah. has held value better than anything else. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I love that mindset. Just go do it. Com- you're competing on, against people who... There's a lot of people who are just unwilling to compete with you on, in that way. And they're going to lose on you. Yeah. Yeah. Totally, man. All right. If anyone, E2 walked up to you looking for advice, life advice, right? Getting out of the military, in the military, whatever. Uh, what's the one thing you, you would tell them? What do you wish you knew? Decide right now. Do you want to be ordinary or do you want to be extraordinary? You know, do you want to just go through the motions and uh, do your four and get out? Or do you want to try to excel in life and leverage your military experience into something that's going to pay you forever, right? I think that the military is the most golden opportunity in America right now. You go for four years. If you end up hating it, you get a free degree at the end of it. And more than free degrees, you get $3,000 a month in San Diego for 36 months to go to college. And then on the side, go work for a developer for free because you're already getting money from the military. Right. So, what I would say to that person is one, save every single penny 
Two, the guys who you think are cool right now are not going to amount to shit five years from now. And three, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So just because you have, just because you hate the military, but you have, you're passionate about real estate. If you forgo your military responsibilities, that's going to carry over to the rest, the rest of your life. Be excellent in everything that you do. Even if you hate the military, you signed that dotted line, do what you got to do. And when you get out, you know, the world is yours, but make sure that you, you always hold yourself to that standard of excellence. Like I hated the military with, you know, I'll say it. I didn't like it. I did not enjoy the military, but I still did what I had to do. And I still tried to be number one there. Yeah. That's huge advice. ID is dropping serious wisdom. Dude. How yeah, you? you? You can see it. Oh yeah. 26. Yeah, dude, this guy who's listening, you got to follow this kid. Thanks, man. You might that means a lot from Alex Felice. That's yeah. Well, I know wisdom. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, humility too. <laughs> that's good. Um, that's good wisdom. How you do one thing and how, is how you do everything. I say that a lot. That's good yeah, wisdom. I, I like and that people one. they don't recognize it in themselves. Resource. What's a resource that you recommend anybody looking to get ready get into uh, real estate investing business? Book, course, website. So I mean, everyone here knows about from military to millionaire. But in the past year, in 2021, and I'm not saying this to brag, I'm saying this to impress upon you what's possible for you. From the connections that I've made in the From Military to Millionaire Facebook group in 2021, I've made a quarter million bucks, right? Um, Just from that, and I've also now setting up flips out of state in South Carolina, setting up a couple of other business, all from, from Military to Millionaire. Okay, so any network that you can get plugged into, especially from military to millionaire, get plugged into there and don't just be on the sidelines, participate, ask questions like all those people who go in there and say, hey, this is what I'm thinking about. Like one, Google it first, but two, bring questions that actually require some creative thinking. Right. Because when I go on there and I see a question that's like, I don't know, like. The city is requiring me to report footings on something that was already permitted. And I don't know what to do. Is it going to work? You know, I'm going to hop in there and I'm going to, because that's not an easy Google, easily Googleable, Googleable question. I'm going to go on there and I'm going to be like, oh, this is good. Let me think about how I can solve this problem. Right. Because I, I get off on solving problems. So ask thoughtful questions and participate and get plugged into from military to millionaire and bigger pockets, of course. Those are two great resources. And yeah, you're right about the questions thing. Cause sometimes people go in and they ask a question and you just kind of want to be like, did you, did you like type that into Google? Cause like, I, <laughs> I don't do it in, in that group. But like when I was in the military, I would have people ask questions that were like really simple questions and they'd like email them over and I would go and I would type their like copy paste their question into Google and then snip the answer being the top piece on Google and email it back <laughs> so that they could see that I literally pasted it in Google and I would type back like, this wasn't that hard. <laughs> There's a service yeah. that does that for you, David. Do you know this? <laughs> it's a what? website called, let me Google that for you. Oh, that's funny. And then it gives you a link and the <laughs> link takes them to Google and puts their question in Google and then clicks it for them. <laughs> and then shows them the results. <laughs> yeah, when somebody asks me a silly question, I do the same thing. I'm like, I literally go to let me Google that for you and send it to them. That's amazing. I need, I need to do yeah. that. That's awesome. 
I got you, fam. I got you. Oh man, yeah, because I my we'd be like like in the recruiting office, my marines would hate it. They'd ask some silly question. I'd be like, Google knows. I'd be like, damn it, I was hoping you'd know. I'm like, I maybe that's maybe really I do, but you need to know where to find answers. Adi, that's really good advice because a lot of my internet uh, community and value that I've been able to exchange has come from not necessarily content, but going into active forums where people actually are and having real interactions with them and trying to give them, like you said, not simple answers, not, hey, I posted to say I posted, but like, hey, look, that's a difficult question that somebody's not going to be able to find. Like somebody's going to have to take the time to answer that and think about it, think about it through. Uh, and I like that too, like having nuanced conversations on the internet. It's not good on Facebook and Twitter, but in forums and in groups, sometimes it, it very much can be. Um, totally. I find I think I think that's very valuable, and I've had a lot of value um, come from from doing just that. So I highly recommend that as well. Agreed. Yeah, hell yeah. Adit, thanks for joining us, man. I know we tried to we tried to record this last week, but both Alex and I got stuck in cars at times we didn't necessarily expect, and we're like, ah, hey, <laughs> but. Um, Ben, always a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for joining us today. And lots of good advice in this. Thank you so much, man. I'm super excited to be here and grateful for the opportunity. Adi, you're the man. Also, I can't wait to read Infinite Jest with you. Also, I double can't wait to talk to you about um, Taleb, uh, Nesting Taleb. Dude, I just realized this. Check this out. My background on my phone for like the last year now is a picture of Nassim Taleb doing deadlifts. That's incredible. I didn't know he lifted. He talks about deadlifts and anti-fragile all the time. Deadlifts are anti-fragile. Oh. I just started it. So I'm going to... Um, Dude, let's talk um, about it for a long time. Good I'm going to have it done by the time I come to North Carolina so we can talk about it. There you Fuck go. yeah. I'm so pumped. Yeah. And then also for anybody listening, Infinite Jest January 1. Oh my God. You're going to hate it. It's going to be amazing. We'll do it together. <laughs> I guess I just got signed up for it with David. So... We're gonna do we're gonna do it'll be group things, so it'll be we'll do it together. We fine. Yeah. It's like you know, it's like hazing. It's if you do it in a group, it's it's totally acceptable. It's not so bad, yeah. Camaraderie. <laughs> Adi, thanks again, brother. Thank you guys. Thank you for listening to another episode about my journey from military to millionaire. If you liked it, be sure to visit from military millionaire.com slash podcast to subscribe to future podcasts. While you're there, we'd love for you to rate the show, give us a review on iTunes. Now get out there and take action.